Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. We're talking JMU sports and talking specifically JMU football today. Noah and I recording uh, in the middle of the uh, first day of training camp. A um, little break in between where they kick us out. So we're coming in to report a podcast before we go back and talk to talk to Kurt Signetti here in a little while. But Okay, Noah, just start off with, we were out there, watched practice for a little over an hour. Um, what did you see? Anything interesting? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, what we expect from JMU, I guess, in the first day of practice. Obviously, for the part we're there, for those of you that don't know, it's it's mostly, you know, individual work with some, some passing and throwing and running and then stretching. So we don't get to see a whole lot of actual, like, 11 on 11, which is kind of what they're in right now, and obviously we're recording this, so... You know, I think it was good. I think it's kind of what you expect. I mean, tossing tail with the ones today, which probably means Billy Atkin with, with the ones tomorrow as they, you know, they alternate if they keep the same schedule that they did during the spring. Um, we'll, we'll be talking to Signetti about that today. But I think, you know, overall, nothing crazy off the tape. Nothing jumps off. I mean, one thing is there's a lot more guys on the field than there were on the spring, and there's only a few guys with no helmets, which I think is a, a good sign for them right now. Yeah, that was going to be one of my, I think, first questions for Signetti is just how different is it roster wise when you got that many more guys out there this year um managing is it different to manage a practice uh, so that's be something i guess we'll uh, we'll be talking about here in the meantime but like you said assuming you know the ones and the twos and everything or what they looked like out there they were doing it in the order we expected them to do <clears throat> any big surprises along those lines just depth chart wise as far as you you mentioned it todd centeo was um you know, the number one quarterback, at least today, mm-hmm. um, not a big surprise. Uh, you know, Chris Thor and Terrence Green looked like they were probably the, the top wide receivers. Yeah. And, you know, about what you would expect skill position-wise. Anything jump out to you where you're like, oh, this guy's maybe a little higher up the depth charts than I expected right so far? Not not so far yet in spring. Obviously, it's just day one. We've got, you know, four weeks of this before they kick off against Middle Tennessee. But I think overall, it's kind of what to expect. I mean, when you look at, you know, you can obviously pencil in most of the skill positions with Chris Thornton, Terrence Green, you can look at the running back room and obviously having Percy at top, and then you got Latrell and, and Kalon Black as well. So obviously that is that's kind of a given, and I think the, you know, the thing to watch might be the offensive and defensive lines as spring goes on. Um, those could change. Um, you know, there's you, you do know this is the time where they're competing for their spots, and Isaac Ugu told me last week, you know, camp is a time to compete for your spot, and if you lose it, you might not give back. So I think, you know, as, we, as camp goes on, we'll get a better understanding of who's where, and I think the lines are probably where to start. Obviously, that's pretty big in FBS football. Is if you don't have good offensive and defensive lines, it's gonna be a long afternoon for you. Yeah, and you know, one thing I found myself kind of weirdly watching was the threes on offense, mm-hmm. like maybe more than I expected. Um, just because they didn't stand out as being, you know, significant. You couldn't if you had somebody just walk in in the middle, not knowing anything about this group, you wouldn't necessarily have guessed that you know Alonzo Barnett and Wayne Knight and those guys running through the offense were down the depth chart compared to some of the other guys yeah I, mean, I didn't think when you look at the quarterback play definitely but I think one thing that you look at with this team right now is receiver depth currently is is not great and you can see that with the threes and with the fours I mean you look a lot of balls that were decent catchable and they hit both your hands you got to make the especially in the FBS if it hits both hands you got to make the catch and we saw that today where a lot of drop balls with those groups and some of it was just Poor throw, obviously, with you've got Alonzo Barnett, a true freshman, and then behind him, you've got Chase Harder, William & Mary transfer, and then a walk-on and behind him. So, obviously, you're, you're going to get some shaky throws from those groups, and there weren't that, that many from Alonzo than the other two, but, again, 
receiver depth is, is something that we want to keep an eye on. And you look at that could become a question mark because if you don't have that many receivers, it's going to be easy for teams to throw a safety over top of Chris and then, you know, take out take that him out of the equation. The, that, that's definitely true. Um, you know, I, I saw a guy you know, like Troy Lewis out there from ECU mm-hmm. transfer. He's not running with the ones right now. But he's also a guy, though, that, you know, he's young, doesn't have a ton of experience, but he was an FBS recruit, obviously, and he looks like an athlete. Yeah, he's a guy here at ECU, started with the threes in spring camp and was with the twos. So, obviously, he, he can play on the FBS level, and I think that with the shaky depth that they have right now, he could open the door for him or a couple other guys that are here, you know, to, to really move up the depth chart a bit. Obviously, you've got, you know, Chris Thornton and – and uh, Terrence Green, and you got a guy like Reggie Brown who'll probably get a lot of playing time. But then after that, you kind of look down the chart, and you're like, all right, you got Ravenel, who's obviously probably going to get some playing time as well, and you just keep going down. You're like, all right, where, where's the fifth and sixth receiver? And then, you know, in this level, you kind of need to have them. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when you are have a little bit of a question mark quarterback-wise. Obviously, you know, Todd Santana's got experience. Billy Atkins has a little bit of experience. It's not like that you're necessarily worried about your quarterbacks, but it's not a situation where, you know, <clears throat> by the middle of the season last year, you just kind of expected Cole Johnson to put the ball exactly where it needed to be, and uh, that made life a lot easier for your wide receivers. Um, this time around, you kind of maybe hoping your receivers can make the life easier on your quarterbacks, and um, that you, that is going to be a little bit of a question mark as far as you know. Just you know, looking at JMU. That looks like an FBS team out there, especially, you know, the the first stringers. That's going to be the big question mark is the depth, like in a lot of places. And wide receiver seems to be one of those. Anywhere else that jumped out to you today where they're like, okay, yeah, first string's looking good, but okay, who's going to come in next? Um, I, I, from what I saw, I don't think there's a whole lot. I think wide receiver is just the biggest glaring, you know, hole from what we, what we watched today. and. I think that, you know, obviously we talk about how deep the running back room is, and that's definitely going to be Jamie's strength going into the year. And, and I think you saw it today. I mean, you've got like four or five guys that can play at the FBS level. They're out there, and I think that's what they want to have. And obviously, you know, talking last week at Media Day in New Orleans, a bunch of the other coaches were talking about, I was like, what's the one concern that if you were Jamie that you have at this point? And he's like, they're all, most of them like depth. Obviously, Jamie's at 80 scholarships. They're almost to 85. They have five available ones that I think they're just going to hold on to at this point. And, you know, that's going to be the biggest question mark, and I think at wide at receiver, that's one that we saw today, but, you know, as camp goes on, another one to look at is cornerback. I mean, obviously they brought in a few FBS transfers from there, and we'll see how they fit in as well. Yeah, and <clears throat> just being on the side of the field we were on, we probably didn't see as much of the defense, and they obviously weren't out there hitting each other or <laughs> anything. Um, not even shoulder pads yet at this point. Um, so cornerback, linebacker, those are a couple of those yeah. places where, you know, maybe this – hour that we saw practice didn't give us much of an idea what they have as far as depth something we're gonna have to be keeping an eye on just really as august goes on yeah that's that's the biggest the biggest two biggest pieces i guess on the defensive side of the ball i mean obviously you lose demonte tucker dorsey to texas so that leaves a big hole at linebacker and then you look at the corners they only return two starting corners from from last season so obviously you need some good coverage in the in the secondary because you're going to be playing some high-level quarterbacks as you wrote about yesterday. You know, you've got guys like Grace McCall and Chase Bryce, you know, who obviously top two quarterbacks in this league. And, you know, if, if you don't have good secondary, they're going to tear it up. And we've mentioned it before. Like, you know, you get in – you're not facing Grace McCall week one, but you're facing a Middle Tennessee team that wants to throw the ball around. So yeah. they're, they're going to 
come after those cornerbacks right away. And so you're going to find out a little bit about, you know, just what JMU has in the secondary, probably from the first yeah. drive of the season. I mean, you got two returners, and then you've, you've got a guy like Nakai Meredith from NC State, who, you know, he was at NC State for a few years and mostly played special teams, but there's a reason why he was there, right? And then you, you've got Antoine Booth, who came from Michigan State, obviously, with his, his dad being a JMU Hall of Famer. So I think they bring some good depth, and I think that we'll see them a lot this spring, this fall. And, you know, I think that might be the, the first question to ask Curtis Ignetti today is, you know, you got these transfers, you know, how are they, they going to work into your system? Obviously, the first time he's seen them in a JMU helmet today. So, Yeah, and, you know, you hit on a little bit, I guess, this didn't look a lot different than the spring with yeah. the exception of some of those guys that were transfers <laughs> that are really in for the first time. Yeah. Um, anybody catch your eye that didn't in the spring, either didn't catch your eye in the spring because they were here and maybe they're just looking improved at this point, or some of those guys who are here now that weren't here for the spring? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things. I think Percy looks a lot better than he did in the spring. Obviously, I mean, since January, he's put on, I think, 23, 24 pounds of muscle. So, obviously, he looks a lot better than he did in the fall. And then you look at a guy like Tudson Tail. Obviously, he's he's got the FAX experience, but today most of his throws were spot on, and you could hear you know Tino Sinceri can like you know uh, pushing him along and you know encouraging him about each throw that he made. So I think that was something because in the spring we would see him throw and it would be good, but there would be a couple shaky ones. And today I think I only saw one or two that you know were bad throws. Most of his throws are the ones were were on the money, and I think that's what you want from a a, a senior quarterback. Yeah, and you know I tweeted something about this yesterday. Kurt Signetti and his staff, they have a history of getting the best out of their quarterbacks. I tweeted the stats as, you know, Ben DiNucci, his stats under Mike Houston in his first year at JMU were almost identical to what Todd Santeo put up at Colorado State last year, yardage-wise, rushing-wise. But probably what jumped out the most was that touchdown-to-interception ratio, which wasn't a whole lot higher than one-to-one for both those guys. Danucci made a huge jump, mm-hmm. especially in that category, in year one under Signetti. Can we see the same thing out of Todd Santeo where, you know, that's probably the biggest question mark with him. You, we know he can make some plays. We know he's an athlete. We know he's got experience. But th- he threw a lot of interceptions at Colorado State last year. For his career, his touchdown to interception rate is not exceptional. And we're coming off a year where Cole Johnson was unbelievable in that category last year. But can he put up, you know, Danucci type numbers where, you know, 20 some touchdowns with single digit interceptions? And if he does that, is that good enough for JMU? I think there's a possibility that he can do that, right? One, he's got the experience at this level already. And two, you're in a quarterback competition that's started in March. And at this point, if he comes out, obviously that's what everyone thinks is he's the favorite. Obviously, we're day one, not really going to know yet. But you don't have a lot of room for error in this kind of situation because. Your backup is competing for your job, and this is kind of a little different than maybe what Cole had last year in the fall, where you know, obviously he played really well, but you know, the the, the guy behind him was a freshman who didn't have a lot of time. Now you've got Billy Atkins who was behind Cole, behind, competing with Centeno. He's been in this system before. He's got that over Centeno, you know, knowing the terminology and, and some of the plays. And I think that you know, if if Centeno gets out there and it gets shaky, then you got the Atkins, and I don't know how long of a leash you give a quarterback at this level. And I think you'll get one. You'll get a leash. But, you know, at some point, a move will be made. We've seen it at other schools in the Sun Belt where 
last year where they would use they used two or three quarterbacks throughout the season throughout like first six games didn't go well take them out put the other one in so i think that could be a situation that to keep an eye on and not saying that that could happen not saying that will happen but it's definitely a possibility yeah um another thing it's hard to tell early on here but one thing i wonder if we'll see more from jmu is you know last year there was all that like consternation about them not getting touchdowns in the red zone <laughs> you know against some of the caa teams and it really seemed like they knew they didn't have to open up the playbook yeah. to a degree and that they could win with field goals. I wonder how much different the first several weeks of the season might look in that regard where, you know, you're not holding anything back for the playoffs or <clears throat> against teams that you don't really care if you beat 35 to 14 or, you know, 42 to 14, what difference does it make? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a new quarterback who who brings a few things, different things to the table, especially with his legs. How much difference do you think the offense could look just in that regard, as far as you know, doing some different things? Where it was really kind of, you know, let Cole throw the ball, yeah. get him down the field last year, and you know, going deep sometimes. But you know, like I said, they didn't they didn't get too creative with things until later in the season, and you saw them play really well late in the season. Um, how much different will that look with either Tonson Taylor or Billy Atkins? Yeah, two things on that. Um, you know, you talk about the red zone and obviously being a struggle last year. And, and Chris Ignetti last week at Media Day said, you know, they won games last year playing a C-plus game. And you can't do that at the FBS level. And I think that's probably the first – you can't not – if you get down in the red zone, you got to score a touchdown in this level. If you don't, the other team has it very capable of doing that. And I think the other part is I think we see a running attack really being a focus of this JMU team. One, because the wide receiver depth isn't – stellar right you don't have Antoine Wells Jr. who is just lighting it up with Chris Thornton having that one-two punch show and you also have a deep running back room this year which was injured mm-hmm. a lot last year and I think that's what forced him to throw the ball and you got guys like Percy Luttrell, Kalon Black that's your top three backs that we'll see a lot of time most likely and I think that you know with a mobile quarterback you can run some some option plays and, and make it happen because I think the more dynamic of an offense you can make the the better it is and if you're one-dimensional in this FBS level, it's easy for teams to shut you down. Yeah, and I think also, too, you saw last year when they got to the red zone, if they were getting the, if they were handing the ball off, they were giving it to Latrell Palmer. He was probably going up the middle. Um, and, you know, I think if you know, there's any criticism here last year when he ran for almost 1,000 yards, it was that the guy that big, that strong, <laughs> you know, danced around in the backfield a little bit too much and then just hit the holes. It, could, it will be interesting to see – him used as more of a change of pace type of back with Percy and how much that kind of like opens up things when you get into the red zone. Cause you know, Jamie was fairly predictable at times last year because you know, they were down however many running backs. Yeah. And, um, he didn't have, didn't have just like a change of pace um, package and everything. I wonder how much that will help as far as just making the offense look a little bit less predictable. Like I said, yeah, I think you've got the dynamic backs now, right? you got Latrell, as you said, who's the, the big back that can just go up the middle and, and get those yards. But you also have a guy like Percy and, and Kalen Black. You know, they, They're all different running backs, and I think that's kind of what you want to have. You It's kind of like you know golf clubs. You want to have a different golf club for each different shot, and I think that if you keep a healthy running back room, you've got a different back for each different spot on the field, play call you want to do. So I think that that's going to be a key this year is keeping that running back room on the field. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about the running back room, I know – you know, I'm not even sure if this guy's going to get any playing time this year. We're not seeing him in live scrimmages right now or anything. 
But I do want to say that, like, I was pretty impressed with Wayne Knight so far. Just, you know, the precision and the um, attention to detail he brings already as a true freshman out there. Like, I thought, you know, running with the number three offense still, like, he was a guy who jumped out to me as somebody who's probably going to be a contributor down the line for this team. Yeah, I think he has an opportunity to kind of maybe get a few carries here and there this year, just being that fourth back. I mean, obviously, if you're going to be a running heavy team, which they could turn into, then, which especially in the Sun Belt, you need to be able to run the ball. This is a conference where if you can't run the ball, you're not going to win games. And I think that he could be a guy to break in there. I mean, you can kind of pencil Solomon Van Horst and that's in a similar situation, playing on special teams as well. But I think that Wayne Knight, he's a proven back. He played well in high school in Delaware. His brother, one of the top recruits out of Delaware, coming to JMU next year. And so I think overall, you know, he, he's a good depth kind of guy for this first year. And Percy leaves. There's an opportunity to break in that top three. Yeah. Um, you hit on Solomon Van Horst a little bit, going to get some special teams reps probably. Uh, was a really good kick returner last year. One thing we noticed, uh, they didn't really – it wasn't really like a punt return situation we saw, but they had those guys out yeah. there. They were kind um, of just running around the ball. <laughs> yeah, and that um, is a question mark because they really don't have anybody coming back who returned any punts last yeah. year. So, obviously, jumped out to us that a couple of their top wide receivers were yeah. – seemed to be uh, in the mix there at least to, um, you know – get get their hands on the ball in that in the punt game yeah terrence green he's a guy who i think is probably the the guy the guy i would circle and pencil in as at that spot i mean he did it at monmouth for a little bit and he was back there today you had chris thornton back there today and you had a couple i think defensive backs there as well so they're testing people out i guess on just like the coverage of with the defense and trying to figure it out but i wouldn't be surprised if you see a guy like terrence green back there and against middle tennessee and and he brings a lot of dynamic stuff out of that he's a speedy guy and He's done it before. He's kind of one of the only guys with punt return experience right now. Yeah, Terrence Green was definitely a name we heard even heading into the spring last year before he was really even at JMU as a guy who might take that. I was, I guess, maybe a little bit more interested and surprised to see Chris Thornton back there. Just um, <clears throat> as important as he is to the team. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, you know, uh, putting him out there uh, in a little bit of danger. I don't know, but um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who does that because. You know, obviously you're hoping you're fielding a lot of punts this year if you're JMU. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the defense is doing a job and getting you the ball back. Um, so that'd be something. Another one of those big question marks is, you know, not that necessarily a worry because we're talking about guys who I think obviously are skilled and athletic and can get the job done. But it's just, you know, kind of had no clue who that might be when we are going into the fall here. Um, similar situation for a lot of the kicking game. Yeah, I mean, you look at kicking as a whole. You you lose your punter and your kicker. You do keep Kyle Davis, your long snapper, who was put on the FBS watch list for the best long snapper in college football, so I will give him that. And he was the only Duke to get on an FBS watch list preseason, so, you know, congrats to, to Kyle Davis. But, um, you know, they bring in a, a punter from Sacramento State this spring. Um, Australian, yeah, you know, they've had success with Australian punters. And I think... You know, we've I talked during the spring about it, and kicking game is kind of up in the air. Place kicking, I mean, got Connor Madden, who obviously he's been out there before, and you've got a couple other guys kind of just trying to compete for that spot. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch. And you could have a situation where you can use multiple place kickers. I mean, they've done it. They've had guys do kickoffs, guys do place kicking, but also you have a guy who's more accurate from distance versus a guy who's more accurate from in. I think you you can have two kickers that that perform well. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about, you know, the red zone situation last year and everything. One aspect of that was that 
I mean, you, you had you were automatic in field goals. Why why get too risky when you know you feel like you're going to get into the red zone? You're going to get points almost every possession. Um, different situation this For year. Now, yeah, I, I mean, you know, may, yeah, maybe somebody steps up, but it really is just kind of like. You know, for something that was so stable for several years, it's 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 a huge question mark to me at this point, especially you know the field goal. Like, you know, you don't want to lose you don't want to lose games because you're not making chip shots, whether it's extra points, field goals, whatever. Yeah, this is this is a level where if you have points on the table, you got it. You got to capitalize. Doesn't matter if it's a field goal, extra point, touchdown. Got to put points on the board if you want to win games, and especially in this in this situation where if you play an app state and you leave three points on the board, that could pile on quickly and you know it turns into a 10 point swing if they go down and score a touchdown yeah but like i said we haven't seen a ton we saw spring and we saw an hour of fall camp now um they've got practice uh for the next five weeks so yeah <laughs> but uh anything changing in your mind as far as predictions what you think of this team so far no i, I still put this team at a ceiling of six wins and a realistic number of four yeah i can't argue with that too much, you know, especially as you see just how deep the Sun Belt is right now. Um, although I really do think it's cliche to put so much on a quarterback, but I think if they get a, you know, third team honorable mention all conference type of season from Todd Santeo, I think they might be, you know, a, a pretty darn good Sun Belt team. I, I, you know, I think, you know, six to seven wins isn't out of the question if they get really good quarterback play and they're not leaving points on the field yeah. in special teams, making a lot of mistakes. Um, but it, it will be a challenge. It'll be interesting to see. I think I want to see more of the defense as the camp goes on. Uh, you know, it's really just kind of hard to believe that we're, you know, talking about a few weeks now, we're going to be really diving in previewing the first game. It, yeah. I mean, what is that? A month from today? <laughs> yeah. I think it's a month from today and it is six o'clock kickoff on, on ESPN Plus, you'll have uh, it's going to be probably a packed house, good game, Middle Tennessee. Well, obviously, they're picked eighth in Conference USA, but not to go into a Middle Tennessee preview. But they won a bowl game last year, and so I don't think they're a pushover team at all. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, week one to set the tone is really important for JMU. I think it's really important for the Sun Belt as a whole. Set the tone, you know. I think you know if you see you know a FBS win or two from the conference, you see them take care of business against you know conference usa and some of those teams and not any embarrassing fcs losses and i think you know sunbelt could be looking pretty good but um you know jmu can do a lot for their own reputation for the conference's reputation week one if they uh handle you know what's been a solid program in middle tennessee state you know wins come spectacular to any means but i mean it does say something about jmu if they're ready to compete with a team like that right away yeah, I mean, it, it'll, it'll say a lot, and I think we'll learn a lot about this team kind of as summer goes on, but actually when they hit the field, we'll learn the most because they will scrimmage a few times this summer. Um, first one next weekend, we obviously can't watch it. We'll kind of talk to Signetti afterwards and get an understanding of what, how it went, but I think the first time I'll actually get to see them, you know, as a unit in a game situation will be a week from, a month from today. Not a week from today. I wish it was a week from today. Yeah, well, before we wrap this up, Get back over to Bridge Forth. Um, I know you got the whole media tour today. Yeah, yeah, you're going to be doing a lot. That's why we're squeezing this in here in between sessions there. What's your number one question for Kurt Signetti when we go back there and talk to him here in a few minutes? My number one question. I mean, you know, 
obviously people like the quarterback. It's a, it's a sexy position to look at. And, and, you know, the question is probably, you know, how are you treating it? And the, question, the answer is probably going to be, you know, it's the same as the spring. Um, but then, you know, the other one you want to see is what he thinks of the new guys that came in over the summer because you had a handful transfer during the spring and they weren't here for spring ball so like what this he got to see him a little bit during conditioning and now today you're seeing him out there for the first time so kind of seeing like what his impression of these fbs transfers they were able to get in and, and see how they can fit in this, this this system all right hey well we're gonna head back over to bridge fourth and uh we'll have plenty to talk about again next week it's gonna be football 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 here for a little while and uh you know i appreciate everybody tuning in listening to the purple and bold podcast i'm shane metlin here once again noah fleischman and thank you for listening